Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Oh, you guys sit down. That's so sweet. Are those all the new interns? They're trying to like kiss up a lit. Just kidding. Okay. We are intern, our 2020, 2021 class of interns start this week. And um, so if you felt a little more excitement in church, it's because we have the best interns in the world. We didn't even remind them that they had pre-service prayer this morning and they just showed up. And uh, I like calling them, I'm going to call them apostles. Uh, Steve and Patty Brooks sent me a picture of the awesome interns, but we love our intern program. I'm doing what I'm doing now because my parents, the founding pastors, Ken and Connie Wilde, and our lead pastors, Chris and Kelly Wilde, believe in the next generation. But the only way you're going to have the next generation move and do what God's called them to do is if you pour into them. So where are our new interns? If this is your first or second year this year, would you just stand? We want to say welcome to interns 2021. You'll see them working throughout the building. You'll see them worshiping. They serve. Half of them are serving in a classroom or on media production and everything. But we're so blessed here at this church uh, what a fun Sunday. What a fun weekend, right? We had the return downtown. Thank you, Mark, Pastor Mark Thornton and the worship team, our production team. I mean, I was so blown away. Everywhere I turned, I saw a Capitol Church volunteer. Like, it was just so awesome. I love that we, um, the, it really is the DNA of this church. We're called Capital Church. We were Capital Christian Center. Uh, we like to do things with capitals. You get it? Like we want to be uh, an investment in, cap, in this capital city. And what, how awesome is it that Pastor Ken, my husband Garrison, and Rob were in D.C. And is this fun? My mom and my mother-in-law are in the service this morning. And uh, my two favorite women are sitting here, and uh, the, we, the guys are all gone, but hey, the ladies are holding down the fort, you know? That's how it, that's how it works. Strong women. I come from a long line. Uh, but we are going to preach today. You ready? Um, uh, we're starting this Jesus for the People series. If you're new to our community, maybe you're new to Capital Church in the last year or so where you came. Maybe some, I know some people started coming to our church during quarantine. So they started by attending online and then have since come and in person. And we're so excited to have uh, you here. You, half of you have probably just moved here because apparently Boise, Idaho is the number one place in the world to move to. <laughs> Calm down, Ricky. Don't cheer for that. We only, we, we, you can only fit so many people, Ricky. We can only fit so many. Our roads are not ready. Uh, and I'm not sure my heart is either, but Lord help it. We're here to love people from all over the world. But we have so many people moving in here, which is a great problem. Uh, it's an amazing thing that people are, have finally found the treasure that is Idaho. Uh, so maybe you're new to Capitol Church and you've walked in this lobby before and you saw these letters. Have you ever seen those letters that are that, uh, right outside on the other side of these doors that say JFTP? And maybe you've wondered what that means, or maybe you've come to church in the last couple years and weren't here when Pastor Chris, our lead pastor, years ago felt like the Holy Spirit told him, we are going to be a, a, a church that is going to be Jesus for the people. JFTP, Jesus for the people. Who knows, and who would say, probably in our world today, 
This has been true throughout human history, but certainly now we need to be Jesus for the people. We as the church need to represent Jesus more than ever. We have a nation that is uh, desperate for Jesus. We have a world that is desperate for Jesus. And so Pastor Chris has felt he's, he started this series years ago and he wants to redo it. So we're gonna refresh it. We're gonna like, what is it, like 2.0. Like we're gonna bring back Jesus for the people. And so I get the great opportunity and honor from my big brother, Pastor Chris, who said, Tracy, go and preach about Jesus for the people. So today I'm gonna start with Before anything else, before we can truly be God's people and we can be his people for the world, we have to know what that means. We have to know what it means to be a Jesus person, (laughs) right? Not Jesus people of the 70s. We're not talking about some of you like, I remember, take us back, you know? (laughs) Uh, Some of you got radically uh, saved during that or you've heard stories of that. Many pastors today, that our pastors around the world got saved during the Jesus People Movement. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about what does it mean in 2020 to be Jesus for all people. Jesus for the people that he's put in our sphere, who he's put in our neighborhoods, who he's put in our workplaces, our, school, our schools, whether you're in school, online, hybrid school, you just quit school, no judgment parents, I probably would too. This year is crazy for school. But no matter what, we're called to be Jesus for those people in that place. And I think the number one thing we have to first start with, the starting point for it all, is to find out who am I in Jesus? Who am I? Ephesians, we're gonna look at the scripture. I love Pastor Paul, I love Paul's writing. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, but he's actually really writing to all churches. This is the one letter he writes in the New Testament that's not just given to a specific city in a specific church, but this letter was circulated to all the churches in the early church. Why? Because this one to Paul was all about the body. This wasn't just to Ephesus. This was for everybody, and I believe it's as true then as it is now. Paul writes this. He says, Paul, I love it. He just has to announce himself, you know? Paul, an apostle of Christ. Jesus by the will of God. Now notice as I'm reading how many times Pastor Paul says in Christ or in him, meaning in Jesus. Notice how many times. I I love it. It it makes me remember that none of this is about me. (laughs) If I've learned anything from 2020, it is nothing is about me. Have you heard about the 18-40-60 rule, by the way? Don't worry, I'll get back to the scripture. I haven't forgotten. The 18-40-60 rule, 18 is you think everybody's thinking about you. You think everyone. By 40, you don't even care what anybody thinks. By 60, you realize no one was ever thinking about you. They were thinking about themselves. <laughs> Man, I just want to get to 60 already with that, right? It's like, nobody cares. But Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Sometimes I just think we need to read scripture the whole time they give me to preach. If I just read scripture, I think it would be enough for your spirit. Even as he chose us, where? In him. Not in government, not in policies, not in coffee shops. Not in football teams, not in structure or schedules or schoolhouses. No, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. 
He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, not my will, not America's will, not the world's will, not that person's will, his will, right? To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. To him or in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I am so thankful that he's the one that has all wisdom and insight because I know I don't. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth who? In where? Christ, in Christ, not in me, not in my plans, not in my hopes, in my dreams or my fears, but in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in him. In him, just somebody say in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Man, I'm sorry, is no one else excited? I mean, this just, just read, do, do I need to give you five seconds and you read it alone and then stir your faith? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, last verse, who is the guarantee of our, our inheritance until we acquire a possession of it, the praise of his glory. Somebody just say glory. That's a fun word. You can say glory in church. Come on. It is in him, it is in Christ, we find our identity, our hope, our purpose, who we've been called to be. Without him, we might as well just like take a vacation, a long vacation, just send me out to the pasture. Without him, we have no hope. Someone's like, that seems heavy. No, it's 11 a.m. The 9 a.m., it was heavier because it was earlier. In him, we have all that we need. Amen. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for church. We're so grateful for community. Lord, we're grateful that you have not forsaken us or left us in 2020. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So my heart is steady and steadfast on you today. Jesus, we receive whatever it is you want to speak to us. Lord, I thank you. It's a great honor and a great responsibility to communicate your word. But God, I pray people wouldn't see me, but we would see you today. So Lord, say what you want to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the identity is an interesting thing, isn't it? And um, I uh, had a really great leader, Kaylee King, text me like several, it's probably been months, I don't even know. I don't know what month it is. I don't even know. Um, it's, is it September still? I think so. She texts me because she's in school. She's amazing. And she's like, hey, do you have some like books or resources on identity? Saw the text, never responded. You know, I'm such a good pastor. You know, I was like in the middle of something. She texts me again. Hey, sorry to bother, bother you. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm the worst. Hey, do you have any? And I think I responded the second time. I was like, sure, I'll get something to you. 
and then forgot. Also, another great pastor move. Um, and so th- she's incredible, gets all these resources, writes this paper. We're riding bikes yesterday down to the thing, and we're talking about this message identity, and she starts telling me about the paper she wrote, and then I was like, oh, you mean the one I was supposed to help you with? And then I was like, that's awesome. Hey, can I steal that stuff you're talking about for the message tomorrow? <laughs> Good move, right? But it, it was interesting. She's taking this course, and um, she actually, she's going to the uh, grad school that I attended. She uh, was doing this paper on identity. And in, in World War II, it was during World War II that they found um, that young men were starting to have this identity confusion. Like, uh, it was during the war. There's this transition from adolescence to adulthood. You remember that. That was, that was confusing for all of us. But in World War II, there was this transition from uh, adolescence, just being a kid, enjoying life, into adulthood, serving in wars. They were probably afraid for their own lives. They didn't know what was going on. Can you imagine living in, an, in a world war? So here's these men, and all of a sudden, they coined the phrase in World War II. Up until that point, we never even had this phrase, identity crisis. They discovered that these young men were starting to experience what we would now refer to as an identity crisis. Now, we might not have wars, hopefully not, but there's a war on the inside of us, and many of us, when is atta- it, for many of us, the war attacks our identity. So we find ourselves often, depending on changes of the season, or when things don't turn out the way we want, or our schedule changes, or things don't look like the way we anticipated when we celebrated, probably at my wedding and celebrated the new year. And then the next day happened and we had no idea what 2020 was going to bring. And all of a sudden we found, some of us have found ourselves in a little bit of an identity confusion, maybe even so far as saying an identity crisis. God has not called us to live in an identity crisis. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means that even if there is a crisis, we can remain the same. But we have to, in order to experience that, we have to have our identity solely in him. What they found with these young boys, this is the resource in the book that Kaylee King read, and I'm stealing it, so thank you, Kaylee King, was that they had to have a sense of identity outside of this war, outside of the experiences, the culture, the environment, and what was happening. If that was where their identity and their eyes were going, guess what? They were finding themselves to be confused and in a crisis. It's funny, isn't it? Changes of season, your identity shifts. I went from being single for a long time to getting married, and what I discovered is I no longer get to choose what show I want to watch. That was a crisis of faith, y'all. Like... I never had to fight for the remote. And then I get married and he doesn't like the same shows. He doesn't understand Gilmore Girls. And I'm like, we could watch it every year, especially at fall time. He's like, no, we can't. So as he's been gone, I've been watching as many episodes as I possibly can. I stayed up a little bit too late the last couple of nights because I'm like, I gotta get one more in. But so you learn, you know, as a selfless wife that I am, you learn to like his shows, you know. One of them that I never watched before I was married was Shark Tank. No, you know, it's a fine show, but I just have so many other things I'd rather watch. So we'll watch Shark Tank, and I'll be sitting there, and, and he's really into it because he loves that business stuff, and he's fascinated by the invention. So Garrison's like, oh, wow, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't pay that much. That's a bad deal. I'm like, what are you even talking about? I'm probably playing my phone on my game as we're watching it. And uh, I can't handle it because 
they think about these people. Some of them have sold everything, quit jobs, invested all their money, years and years of their time and energy and their heart into this one invention, right? And whatever it may be. And usually it's kind of weird. Like, I don't get it. And they come to these sharks and they're like, no deal, no deal. And I like, I cringe. I can't handle it. I'm like, oh my gosh. And you can just see it on their face. Some of them cry. Some of them like plead. When they plead, I can't, I can't. I'm like, please turn it. Please turn it. Why? Because many of these people put all their value, their hope, and their dreams in this one thing. And when one person, two people, three people, maybe five people say, sorry, it's not good enough. All their value and worth is connected to that. And they're dejected. They feel rejected. They feel hopeless. It's just, it's, it's beyond me. And so I'm like, please, can we, Gilmore Girls does not have this. It's tender. It's a great mother-daughter relationship, you know? But we, without realizing from the genesis of our lives, things have been shaping our value and our worth and our identity. I... Um, or a few years ago, I, I started having some like back issues and I was like, oh geez, what, you know, I'll go to a chiropractor, get a massage. I tried acupuncture. I pled the blood of Jesus before and after, don't worry. And then my mom's like, maybe you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, okay, I won't. Um, <laughs> didn't help anyway. <laughs> um, did, I tried everything. You know, when you're in pain, you'll literally try anything. So I finally went to our good friend, Marshall Weber, who owns uh, him and Rachel, his wife owned Jack City Fitness. I was like, like, I can't even work out, Marshall. I need help because I got a plan. Gonna, Marshall's the best. He will give you a plan. Little shout out to Jack City Fitness if you need a good gym. So he goes, we're going to have a plan. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So for three days a week, I would go into the gym uh, for six months, for six months. I did not, there wasn't a bead of sweat that came off my face in that gym. I did nothing. I didn't lift a weight. I didn't do a cardio machine. I literally could have worn this outfit because there was, I, I didn't sweat, nothing. I was like, I just went in, Marshall had a plan. He was working on strengthening of what he believed was the very thing that would help strengthen every other part, especially my back, my neck, everything. And I was like, okay, let's do it. He said, we gotta strengthen your core. If we strengthen your core, everything around you will get strong. But the reason your back's kind of weak and keeps getting re-injured, your neck has these issues, is because your core isn't strong. Have you ever realized that if your core, if the core of who you are, if your identity isn't strong in Jesus, then the things around you have the potential to being weak? Many people will come and like, my marriage, how do, I, how do I strengthen my marriage? I'll be like, well, maybe, I don't know, pray together. Make Jesus first. Well, I mean, we have different schedules. Okay. Come back two years later. Okay, well, how do I help my children? My children are really struggling and I want them to come to church. Okay, how about you come to church every single Sunday? And you, you demonstrate to your babies how much Jesus is control of your family, your home. And then guess what? Maybe they'll start going, okay, my mom and dad get up in the morning and they get some coffee and they drink, or they drink the Bible. You can drink it too. You can eat it. They get their Bible out and they pray together. If we get our core in Jesus strong, we have the potential of everything else in our life getting strong. But if the core of who we are is weak, guess what? Everything else in our life is weak. So this is why I believe we have to have our identity strengthened. Who we are in Jesus matters. Tim Keller says this. He says, whether we can consciously realize it or not, 
every culture without, a, without our permission and without naming it, it as such imposes an identity formation process on us. The moment you, you come into this world, things are shaping you without your permission. Come on, TV shows, teachers, parents, doctors, playgrounds, sports, your interests and hobbies, everything has the potential to shape your identity. So we always have to be mindful of what we allow to shape who I think I am. Because if my identity in Jesus is not strong, then my identity is gonna come from somewhere. I gotta, I gotta find out who I am somewhere, somehow. So I'll find it in, in, in someone's value or what they say about me or how they feel about me or what I think about this issue or what I think about this city or what I think about this opinion and this idea. It will come from somewhere. The problem is sometimes our identity we think is centered in Jesus, but we won't realize it isn't until it's taken away. That's when the identity crisis comes in. That's why 2020 has been hard for so many because things were taken. And without realizing we made the United States of America our comfort, our conveniences, my schedule, my ways, Think, I'm not saying there couldn't be things that are different. Don't twist it. Let the Holy Spirit. Hey, can I just tell you, church is to convict us. It is, it is. The gospel's offensive. I'm so sorry if you're offended, but the gospel offends me every day. There's things in all of us that we put above Jesus. And when we put something above Jesus, guess what? The foundation's gonna get weak. Things are gonna crumble around you. From the moment we are born, we find ourselves in the midst of a culture that forms us in the way it wants to, teaching us to get a sense of our identity from it. What is it that has shaped us? Think, think, I mean, I know it's silly, but we, we get shaped by everything. Coffee shops. It's like, are you Starbucks, Dutch Bros, or Push and Pour? Have you met someone and they're like, oh, I love Dutch Bros, and you're like, okay, good to know. You know it's gonna be a happy, cheerful conversation for a long time, you know? There's a certain group of people. Then the pushing poor people, you're like, oh gosh, I can't even talk to you about coffee because you are definitely a coffee snob, you know? But God bless you. It's, it's funny that we get in subgroups, even when it comes to silly things like coffee. We immediately go, oh, that person's in that group then. Yep, because they like that place. Or hobbies, even our hobbies. We, we, our people's social ladder, wherever you fit on a scale, socioeconomic, ethnic, beauty, and cultural standards put us in boxes and identities that we don't even realize. And we don't think so, because we think we're Christians first. But when it comes down to it, when you strip all that stuff away, that stuff matters to us. Your politics matters to us. Your opinions seem to matter to us. What you say, what you think, what you believe, all that stuff shapes our identity, does it not? From little things to our language nuances, to sports, the arts, uh, uh, social justices and causes. We make social justices and causes almost more important than the one who is justice. 
And if you support this or if you support that, we're like, mm. it's like, stop, stop, stop. You have made that more of an identity than Jesus is an identity. Your hobbies, your TV shows, your successes and your failures. These are all things that have shaped us in our identity as Jesus followers. And what is it preaching to the world? I just wonder, and I'm talking to myself, this is like group therapy, but I'm leading it, okay? <laughs> I wonder what my identity speaks to people. Isn't it crazy that I can have a conversation with someone and I will rarely say, hey, oh, by the way, I go to church or I'm a Christian. I'll tell them my name, where I'm from, where I live. I'll tell them, you know, my favorite shows. We'll have just chit chat about restaurants. But somewhere way down the line, I might get in the whole Jesus thing. They'll know my politics. They'll know my views. They'll know my opinions. But do they know who I follow? Do they know what my mission is as a Jesus follower? I just wonder if we've made that so far down the list that we find things in our life have gotten weaker over the years. And all of a sudden, it'll break. Oh, and your back will hurt. It'll be like, oh, I gotta get this fixed. Hey, help me with my back. It's like, help me with my marriage. Help me with, you know, my kids. Help me with my work. Help me with my finances. And all the long, God's is going, yeah, yeah, I will. Hey, come to me. Make me your identity and the primary one of your life. And all the other areas and concerns of your life will get stronger and stronger and stronger. Our identity is in Christ, not a crisis. My identity is in Jesus, not a crisis. Some of you are already preparing your sweet little hearts for November. Whether victory in your heart or a crisis, and you are preparing your heart. Can I tell you that no matter what happens in November, Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I, I believe in, in the civic responsibility. I mean, if anyone, I'm my father's daughter. I majored in political science. I lived in Washington, D.C. You know what my dad taught me all those years ago? To pray for all those who are in authority. So no matter who inhabits the White House, I'm gonna pray for them every single day. Why? Because that's what God called me to do. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower in a world that doesn't even know what Jesus looks like anymore. Jesus now is polarized. Jesus now is tribalism. Jesus now is subgroups. Jesus now is, is, is interest groups. Jesus now is social justice causes. Jesus now is anything other than Jesus. I just wish we would have spent the last six months and I'm regretting it too, okay? So I'm not just preaching at you, I'm preaching at myself. I wish I would have spent the last six months talking more about Jesus than COVID or quarantine or like what's going on in our world. And some of you go, well, we are by saying this. Yes and no. Because if Jesus is primary, who, please hear this. And Pastor Chris and Pastor Chris aren't here in the front row to look at me and like that, they'll give me a look. That means stop, like move to something else. They're not here, so I don't, I, my mom won't do that. My mom will just smile at me. So <laughs> blame Pastor Connie, the founder of this church. She's the best. But if we don't make these things primary, 
I'm, I'm fearful for the future of the church and for future generations that will now be shaped with a new identity. And it won't be like Jesus. I, I have such strong convictions and strong views. I know who I'm voting for. I'm not worried about it. I know what I believe. I know what I stand for. I know what the Bible has directed. All those things. And I'm not shaken by what's going on in the world. Why? Because my daddy taught me a long time ago that Pastor Paul told his young spiritual son, Timothy, to pray. Pray before anything else. Pray for those who are in authority. He's doing it in Washington, D.C. right now. We were doing it yesterday down at the Capitol building. And I know this to be sure. When I make Jesus the one who's the answer, not me, not my opinions, not my ideas, not, not how I think this world should work out, but when I know, God, you really are the only one who can do it. So I'm going I'm to pray to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to depend on you. Then guess what? God works it out. However he needs to work it out, he works it out. But I have to have my identity in him first. Part of what it means to be a Jesus follower, and this is the part that I'm like nervous to say, but like the Holy Spirit will like bless it. Part of what it means to be a Jesus follower is letting Jesus deconstruct the things that you have let shape your identity. It's part of it. It's such a tender, it, these are tender moments in our world. But there are things in 2020 that God had to deconstruct in me. Things that I thought were so holy and mattered, but I was making them bigger than God. I was making that bigger than Jesus. And I was letting it consume me. And then all of a sudden I'm finding relationships are getting weaker and I'm finding that my anger is starting to rise up. And like, I'm like, ah. I'm like, hey, this doesn't seem like Jesus for the people. <laughs> Like, I, I'm like road rage is coming out because, you know, it's like, has everyone moved to Idaho in two months? You know, the roads aren't ready. And I, and I realized, okay, God, there's stuff you got to deconstruct in me. Why? Then Jesus can reshape his identity in you. It is God who defines who you are. Nothing else. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to let you fill in the blank. It is God. It is God. How do I know this? Is because God, in the beginning of time, when he created the earth, he decided he'd make you, and then he defined what you were. In, in Genesis chapter one, the very beginning, verse 31, he says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God's the one who creates and then it's the God that one, after he has a created being, then he determines what that created being is defined as, and he defines it as good. This Hebrew word in Genesis is tov. And tov has this beautiful definition. I mean, it is like endless des descriptions of what good is. It means pleasant. It means, oh Lord, could we be pleasant? It means kind. It means joyful. It means desirable. It means usable, efficient morally good, this good to God is who he has called you to be. When God made you, he made you, and then he said, they're good. And how does he define it? Oh, they're merry, they're pleasant, they're joyful, they're kind, they're friendly, they're usable, they're desirable, they're efficient. This is what God, when he created you, he defined you. Your identity is that 
Not in what people say, not in what people think, not in what the world says, not in what Washington DC says, not in what you have been instructed by outside forces like social media and the news and movies and television and all those things that aren't bad, but they're not God. See, this is the thing is like, we still define ourselves by not, they're not bad things. Like you're like, oh, I'm, a, I'm a, an amazing spouse. I'm an amazing parent. Or I just love my work. Those are all good things. But they're never before Jesus. I mean, my goal is to be a really good wife and a good preacher and a healthy pastor and someone who is strong emotionally, physically, spiritually. But if I'm just working on those things and like, okay, I just, I gotta, I gotta please my husband. I gotta help that. I gotta make sure everyone is okay in church. No, 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 no. I have to first and foremost go, Jesus, you are who you, I am who you say I am. And my first and foremost role identity is Jesus, not Garrison's wife, not the pastor of Capital Young Adults, not a pastor at Capital Church, not Connie Wilde's daughter. I am all those things secondary to being his kid, his child, his created being, his image bearer. And when I have that, guess what? You're gonna watch your marriage get strong. You're gonna watch your babies get strong in the Lord. You're gonna watch your work flourish. You're gonna start to see the things, relationships instead of digressing will progress. Your circle will get larger, not smaller. Your world will get brighter, not darker. Hope will shine in dark places. Why? Because Jesus is primary and everything else to him is and for always, forever will be secondary. Because when God created earth, he says, oh, he, they're good. And I love this about God. When God says it, it's like taking, like, it's, it's real. Why? Because God defines good. God is good. There's no one better than God. There's no one higher than God. There's no one more holy or perfect than God. God created the universe and the cosmos, created beings, and then he says, hey, I want you to be good. If God says you're good, you're good. You don't need anybody else to say, hey, you good? <laughs> or I like you because you do this. Or I, you don't need it. Yeah. Why? Because God already said, I made them and they're good. Yeah. And I want them to be like me. I want them to have my attributes and my characteristics. And I want them to walk this earth like Jesus for the people. And I want them to show a broken, hurting, confused world what it means to trust Jesus and Jesus alone. I want him to know. And this could be messy theology, but I, 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 I feel it in my bones, is that if he's not Lord of all, he's actually not Lord at all. If he's not Lord of all, you, you can be the best sounding Christian you can, you can do the best things. You can be a good person. You, you could be really involved in church and community, but if he's not Lord of all, he can't actually be Lord at all in your life because you've placed so many other things, probably without knowing, probably without meaning to, 
But you've placed an identity in, if I can get that, if people would recognize me for that, if I could win that, if we could just get this, then. No, no, no. If none of those things ever happen, <laughs> if none of those things ever happen, you are still good to God. He has shaped your identity from the moment you were conceived in your mama's womb. See, creation, Adam and Eve before the sin, think about this, before sin entered the world, they were entirely dependent on God. Their value, their worth, their sense of self, all of it came entirely from God. Nothing else, nothing else defined them in the garden, nothing, just God. Then no concern. He puts them in this beautiful paradise, this beautiful place. But the human condition is the human condition, isn't it? And it started to look for something else. There's God, mm, this is awesome, this is great, this is all I need. But just in case, maybe there's one more thing. This is the human condition. Then when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they lost what? Their identity. Because good creation doesn't need to hide Good creation doesn't need to be ashamed. And Adam and Eve, the moment they sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. But God's good, good earth and his good, good creation never needs to hide. Why? Because he's already defined who you are. You're good. But they let something else seep into their heart and their spirit to say, this is who you are. And it is forever and always only going to be who God says you are. That is what defines you. That is what will lead you into what God has had. So here we have in the garden, the first identity crisis. We didn't know about it until World War II, but the first identity crisis was in the garden. How does God remedy this identity crisis? They have lost their identity. They are now far from God. They're exiled from God, in fact. How does he remedy this? He always had a plan, and the plan was his son, Jesus. It was only Jesus who could bring you back to your identity in God, which is an image bearer, which is his good created being, which is the one that he has, has plans and purposes for. So he brings his son to remedy the identity crisis. And so today, what is our mission? To make Jesus first. To be the Lord of my life. The Lord of everything in my life not just Sundays and not just when I feel like it, but Sunday through Sunday and all through the day when kids are screaming and when my husband wants to watch another show, when I wanna do something else, when the government's not doing what I want, when the news is making me mad, when people are frustrating me, he's still Lord. He's still Lord. I promise you he's gonna be Lord in November, he's gonna be Lord in December. He's gonna be, he's Lord in 2020 and he's gonna be Lord in 2021. He's not gone. The world has not gone away, he is still in charge. It might be messy and confusing, but I think God needed to do it. So that this year we can rightly, we could rightly order who Jesus is in our life. Have you ever cleaned out a drawer in your house? Like organize it? Is it not the most satisfying feeling in all of life? You know what's fascinating? You take a junk drawer and you, you, you like organize it and stuff. What is it 
cause you to do? It causes you to want to organize more drawers, more closets, more rooms. That's what happens when you rightly order Jesus. When you put Jesus in the proper place, all the other things will be desired to be rightly ordered. You will want to clean up the mess. But if Jesus is not the strength of your life, I can't promise this, but I can certainly take a wild guess that there are areas and situations in your life that are weak. But when we make him strong, the potential for strength in every other area of our life is immense. You will find things that, you, that have been weak in you almost all your life. And in this one moment, when you start ordering your life and putting Jesus at the center, when you start making him Christ alone, like you sing, it's so cute how we sing songs. It, it, it's tender. It blesses my heart. I do it all the time too. It's like we sing the song and then I leave and Jesus is not the center, you know? It's like where I'm eating is the center. And if somebody is annoying me, they have taken over all my joy. But like, but I sing in church that so he's the center. <laughs> and he's Christ alone, you know? And we sing it and sometimes we cry, you know? Or is that just me? Because I need it. But come on. We have to believe this in our life from Sunday to Saturday, from the moment we wake up to the, to the moment we lay our head on the pillow, is that our value and our life and our security comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. How do I know this? First John 3, 1 says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. My favorite part. And that is what we are. I love this scripture. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Done. You don't need to worry about anything else. God has defined who you are. You are his child. You are his children. You are good. You're his good creation. He has good plans for you. He has good plans and purposes in store for you. He has a good plan for this nation. He has good vision for this country. He has a good future for our world, for your family, for this church, for our city. It's good. Because we are his children and that's just who we are. Which means that I have to live in that position with God. That I am first his child and second I'm Garrison's wife. And I am first his child, and then I'm Ken and Connie Wilde's daughter. And I am first his child. Then I'm a preacher, a pastor, a lover of people. I'm all those things after I'm his child. I am his child. Before I'd name, I'm this Western American blonde girl that loves this, loves to go to Starbucks. I love the pump, pumpkins, uh, um, the pumpkin cold brews with all my heart, only from Starbucks though. Like I love those things and I'm all those things, but only after Jesus. <laughs> Who you are is Jesus for the people. You are his. He has called you according to his purpose, according to his will. Not mine. And man, mine is strong, isn't it? My will is strong. My mom and, and dad had to break that will. And it still tries to come out. Why? Because it's strong. But God's will is better than mine. His plans are higher than mine. They're greater than mine. They will always supersede mine. So what is my posture today? 
is to make him primary and everything else secondary. See, we had a problem with the Pharisees in the New Testament, didn't we? Because we thought, oh my gosh, they are just awful. No, I just don't think they had social media. I, I, I don't think we're unlike them. Paul was passionate for the law of God. He was passionate. What was the problem though? He didn't put that above the word. He didn't put God in the highest place. He put his zeal for the laws of God, the traditions of his faith, the things he had always known above God. I don't think we're unlike Paul as a Pharisee. I just think we sadly expose it more. Oh, it got quiet in the church today. So how does God so lovingly show us? He reminds us, you're my kid first. Your identity's in me. It's not even in church. It's not. Jesus is the head of the church. So my identity is not in church, it's in Jesus. My identity is not outside of his realm and who he is and what he does. My identity is first and foremost and for always in him first. And then all these things that are good, like a good marriage and good family and a good future and a good job, good dreams and good politicians and good policies, all those things will find their shape when Jesus is made Lord of all. He's bigger than COVID. He's bigger than 2020. I just, come on church. I think if we get this in our heart and we let him strengthen. 2020 was, I liked 2020. I liked the quarantine to be totally honest. I miss it. I loved it. Some of you are like, it was the worst. I'm like, I, I disagree. I loved it. But we will disagree. That's great. It was hard on you. It was great on me. <laughs> 2020 was a year though that God came and he's trying and some of you've caught it and some of you are still catching it and some of you will. Coming to deconstruct some of the things that we valued higher than Jesus. Some of us it's health, some of it's family, some of it's finances, some of it's opinion, some of it's this presidential election, some of it's what will happen if or, but guess what? I know this, if I put Jesus as high as I can get him up there. Whew. He'll take care of your babies. He'll take care of your future. He'll take care of your business. He'll take care of your family. He'll take care of your heart. He'll take care of your health. He's got you. He's got you. And I will still be passionate about what I think. And I will still care about things that God puts in my heart, but they will never be larger or bigger or louder than my view of who he is and who he's called me to be and what he says about me and what he says about you, what he says about his church. Why? Because we are Jesus for the people. And I want to show the world what Jesus looks like. He looks like love. He looks like compassion. He looks like someone who relentlessly pursues. He's like one who says, you're good, and you're good, and you're good. You're all good. And I have plans and purposes, and I have called you to my purpose. 
so let's go. Woo! That's what I want to tell every person who doesn't know Jesus yet and every person who's broken and hurting and desperate. I want to say Jesus is for you. Why? Because he's for me and he's shown me my purpose, my call, and it's to point him high. It's to lift him high. It's to make him Lord of all, not some. Come on, church. Woo! He's good and he says you're good. He's great and he has you in his hand. He's awesome and magnificent power and he holds the whole world in his hands. Woo! I can't help but preach. Woo! Why? Because when he's first, everything else will find a shape. Come on, church, lift your hands to heaven. Come on, worship him. He's for you. Come on, lift up your hands.